Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, today we've got a question for you. Do you believe in luck? Or rather, do you think that some people are naturally lucky or unlucky? Is there a roll of the dice that falls in their favor, or is it all down to chance? There are certainly some strange coincidences that have come to our attention via the media. Some are small, and some are, well, life-changing or death-defying. Are some among us destined to live charmed lives? Predestined, perhaps. Is there a brief moment of some intervention? divine or otherwise, that takes hold, guiding the lives of mere mortals. Or, maybe, some people are just really good at scratching lotto tickets. That seemed to be the case with a Texas resident named Joan Ginther. She won $21 million in the scratch-off games, which, as we imagine you're thinking, is pretty impressive, but certainly not the highest jackpot ever scored. But here's the thing. According to Mental Floss, Joan Ginther didn't win the Texas lottery once. She turned in four separate winning tickets, one draw and three scratch-offs, between 1993 and 2010 to collect four separate multi-million dollar prizes. The Associated Press reported that the odds of that kind of winning streak were calculated by, quote, mathematicians as slim as 1 in 18 septillion. Sounds pretty unbelievable, right? Well, considering that Joan Ginther earned a doctorate in mathematics from Stanford, maybe not. But according to the Charleston Gazette, no one could ever get a straight answer out of Joan. Did she figure out a mathematical approach, some sort of algorithm, that allowed her to choose her tickets. She always bought them from the same little store in town. Was there someone who worked there who was in on it? 
Texas lottery officials didn't seem to think so. So maybe it was just down to, well, luck. And there are some people who seem to live even more charmed lives than Jean Ginther. Of course, charmed may be relative when you consider some of what Australian Bill Morgan had to go through first. CNN wrote that Bill, a truck driver, was in an awful accident in 1999. His rig was crushed. The CE Financial News reported that the medicine used to treat Bill at the hospital after his accident actually caused an allergic reaction. And because of that, he suffered what looked like at first to be a fatal heart attack. Okay, not very uplifting and lucky so far, but stay with us. Though Bill was, quote, clinically dead for somewhere around 12 minutes, staff were able to bring him back. But as they warned Bill's loved ones, there was a serious possibility that his brain had suffered irreparable damage due to the lack of oxygen. Bill was in a coma for almost two weeks. The financial news wrote that Bill's family was told to consider ending life support. But then, you guessed it, Bill came too, and he was completely undamaged from the effects of the 12 minutes of oxygen deprivation. But we don't think you could call Bill unchanged. Because according to the financial news, something had shifted in Bill that day, namely his worldview. Within a year, he proposed to his girlfriend, switched careers, and picked up a new habit, scratch-off games. And it didn't take long for that gamble, sorry, to pay off. According to CNN, he won a prize worth $25,000. Once word got out that a man who'd risen from the dead had gone and won the lottery, well, a local news crew asked him to reenact the event for their cameras. Per the financial news, Bill obliged, and then won another $250,000. And while we're speaking of lucky, there's the famous story of President Theodore Roosevelt. He could certainly be counted as fortunate for narrowly escaping an assassination attempt. You may have heard about this one in school if you had a cool teacher, but according to history.com, it goes something like this. Teddy was set to give a speech on the campaign trail, and he had a folded up script, all 50 pages, in his breast pocket. So, when a would-be assassin shot him in the heart, just as he got ready to speak, the bullet was slowed down enough by the paper to assure his survival. As you might imagine, it made quite the impression when he pulled out the papers, which sported fresh bullet holes. The bullet had entered his chest, but it had been slowed down enough to create only a shallow wound. So, as you might imagine, it made quite the impression on the crowd when Teddy pulled out the papers, which sported fresh bullet holes. He announced to the crowd, It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. Fortunately, I had my manuscript. So you see, I was going to make a long speech, and there is a bullet. This is where the bullet went through, and it probably saved me from it going into my heart. 
The bullet is in me now, so I cannot make a very long speech. But I will try my best. All of these stories are certainly displays of good luck, or fortune maybe, if you prefer, but they're individual. Limited. What would you call luck on a bigger scale? Maybe, strangers, the right word in that case is miracle. Now, it's a lofty word and often met with suspicion. And that's fair. There have been plenty of swindlers and fakers out there who have passed off elaborate scams as the real deal. It's led quite fairly to the birth of many skeptics who believe that there's always an explanation if only you look hard enough. But in the case of this week's story, well, friends, you might find yourself searching extra hard for it this time around. On March 1st, 1950, at just about 7.25 p.m., an explosion shook the streets of Beatrice, Nebraska. In one moment, the quiet street was transformed. Debris flew, bricks crashed, and the steeple of the local church came tumbling down across the town's main street. In fact, according to the Fremont Tribune, quote, the toppling steeple sheared power and telephone lines, one of them connecting the studio of the radio station KWBE with its transmitter. The station was off the air for nearly two hours. It was a breathtaking and horrifying scene, something meant for the movies and not real life. According to the Fairbury Daily News, two Beatrice residents were outside at the time of the explosion. Mrs. Troy Tremond and Lyle Austin, who were returning from a short trip, said, We saw a great flash, which we thought at first was lightning. We didn't realize at the moment just what had happened. They said the building had been completely leveled. In fact, the source of the blast was the local house of worship, the Westside Baptist Church. The local newspaper, the Beatrice Times, wrote that the blast, quote, blew it apart like an orange crate, completely demolishing the frame edifice as it blew the sidewalls outward, dropped the roof down, and catapulted the steeple nearly across Court Street. Residents across town heard the boom. Some had even feared that their own furnaces had exploded. Those closer to the east side ran outdoors to see glass shattered in the shops across the street from the church, from what used to be the church. The Beatrice Times reported that firemen and gas services on the scene were immediately searching for the source of the explosion. They soon found that the gas line was turned off at the meter, though it was a possibility that some gas leak or break could have occurred at the street level. The church itself had a coal-burning furnace and a gas stove. At least the furnace would have been burning as the church's reverend had been there at 6.30, just like always, to stoke the furnace in preparation for choir practice set to begin at 7.20. Did you catch that? Choir practice. There were 15 people who were slated to be in the Westside Baptist Church every week at 7.25, singing praise, at the precise time the building exploded. Most everyone in town would have known who was expected, but the Reverend Walter Klimple 
would obviously have the most precise count. And he would actually be able to give those names to authorities, including his own and his wife and his daughters. Because, for the first time in anyone's memory, the good reverend had been running late to choir practice. The Lincoln Times reported that Reverend Walter had been inexplicably slowed down by his young daughter. His wife, known as, you guessed it, Mrs. Reverend Walter, noticed that at the very last moment, their child's dress was dirty. As you might imagine, that would not do for a church event, so she set out to quickly iron a fresh outfit for the child. That put them a few minutes behind schedule and saved their lives. Now, you'd certainly mark Reverend Walter Kimple and his family among the lucky that we've discussed so far in this episode. There's no arguing that. And if you happen to be religious or spiritual, or perhaps just of an open-minded bent, you might consider the possibility of divine intervention. After all, who's more likely to receive that kind of grace than a man of God? But considering that 12 other members of the choir were also slated to be at the Westside Baptist Church that evening, well, you might feel a little less sure of grace being handed out in equal measure. Or you might, except for one strange thing. For the first and only time in anyone's memory, the entire attending party from the choir director to the pianist to every last singer, was late that evening. And because they were behind schedule, the Westside Baptist Church was completely uninhabited when it exploded. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest? in this nowhere area. And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, it took some time for this information to come to light. There was chaos, well, everywhere. And you can imagine the state that Reverend Walter was in. Per the Beatrice Times, he knew of the explosion almost immediately. He didn't live far. And the first thing he imagined, we must assume, were his parishioners inside that collapsed building where the firefighters had begun to arrive. That crumpled steeple slashed across the road like, well, some kind of terrifying metaphor that we don't even have the time to unpack. Though, one of us did pay plenty of money in student loans to gain the ability to do that, so we may need to return to that point. But more to the point. 
As townspeople and emergency personnel raced around outside, the Hastings Daily reported that Reverend Walter was busy on the phone, desperately dialing one parishioner after another. It took him a while, but despite all odds, he discovered that one way or another, every single person had been delayed. Those stories of precisely how and why would come, but first, the good reverend had to see to his church. And because they were behind schedule, the Westside Baptist Church was completely uninhabited when it exploded. He was soon at the scene where, per the Hastings Daily, a small fire had been extinguished and the damage was being surveyed by just about everyone in a half-mile radius. Reverend Walter Klimple was quite reasonably dazed himself and wasn't able to give local reporters an immediate estimate as to the possible cost of the damage, though he did tell the Lincoln Times that the church had insurance. All he was able to remember was what he told the papers about his movements before the blast. Reverend Walter had gone by the church at 6.30 to set the coal fire, just like always, so it'd be warm in time for rehearsal. He hadn't noticed anything odd. He recalled that yes, there was a water heater, but no, nothing seemed to miss, and Yes, he supposed there could have been a problem with the gas stove, but of course he hadn't noticed it had been on. We assumed that he didn't check. Why would he? He hadn't smelled gas. He was just there to warm up the church. And then he went home, where his daughter had made his wife stay more difficult by dirtying her outfit and saving all their lives. Speaking of saving lives, the Lincoln Times reported that it turns out that no one living around the West Side Church was hurt, though we imagine they weren't thrilled to be without utilities. The steeple that took out the radio station and utility pole did a number on all their conveniences. But they still interestedly watched the fire chief who was searching for a source of the explosion, and they began to discuss the news that was already spreading around town, that every single choir member had been spared. And of course, that led to the natural questions. What exactly had they been up to? Had there been some sort of major event happening in the town of Beatrice that delayed them? A traffic jam? Some really amazing potluck? Nope, nothing going on in the town which had a population of just under 12,000 in 1950. There was no major event, not a storm, or a festival, or anything else that should have made every single person late. And that was particularly odd, because no one was ever late to choir practice. Because, according to the Lincoln Star Journal, the choir director, one Mrs. Paul, was very, very particular about punctuality. Being on time was being late. Being early was being on time. You know the type. Very frightening and, of course, the only person in any situation who can get anything done. And yet, on the night of March 1st, 1950, Mrs. Paul herself was overdue to practice 
which basically should have been the first sign of the apocalypse as far as her choir members would have been concerned, had they been there themselves. And it was her own daughter, Marilyn, the choir's pianist who was to blame. You see, after they ate dinner that evening, Marilyn decided that she'd lie down for a little and take a nap. Why? Well, your guess is as good as ours. Maybe they had really good enchiladas and she needed to sleep it off. Maybe it was just 1950 and there wasn't much else going on. It really doesn't matter why she napped so much as it does that she did. And for some reason, Marilyn's mother let her sleep. Marilyn would later tell the Beatrice Daily Sun, Mother expected us all to be punctual. Most often, everyone was there on time. I can't remember a time when anyone came late. And what about the others? There were a variety of reasons. Life magazine eventually came to town to cover the story and took more than a dozen photos of the miraculous choir and the unfortunately decimated church. They spoke to everyone, too. One such person was Herbert Kipf, who described himself as a lathe operator. Life wrote that Herbert, quote, would have been ahead of time, but he'd put off an important letter. I can't think why, he said. But he lingered over it and was late. Some sources wrote that Herbert was reading the letter, and others said he was writing it, but... Either way, he couldn't exactly send it off at night and expect it to speed along delivery, so it was an interesting sense of urgency. A number of high school students were members of the choir, and they all were made late in one way or another. The Lincoln Times reported that LaDonna Vandergrift was busy with her geometry homework and had to finish a problem before she headed out. She received a call from two other teen choir members, Rowena and Sadie Estes, who told LaDonna their car wouldn't start. Could she give them a ride? Sure she could, after she finished her geometry. Thus, all three were running late together. And it was her own daughter, Marilyn, the choir's pianist, who was to blame. According to the Beatrice Daily Sun, LaDonna would reflect back on the events as an adult, saying, It was an absolute miracle. It's a reminder that God watches over all of us. At the time, of course, though, she said that none of them could fully process it. They were just teenagers. And there were another set of teens similarly delayed. Lucille Jones and Dorothy Wood were both late because, as the Lincoln Times reported, Lucille wanted to finish listening to a particularly interesting radio program, and Dorothy was catching a ride with Lucille, so they were both stuck until the show ended at 7.30. The Lincoln Times cited older members of the choir as having similarly mundane excuses. A man named Harvey All couldn't leave his children unattended until his wife arrived home. Mrs. Schulster and her daughter had to stop at Mrs. Schulster's mother's to help her prepare for a trip. They were just a few minutes behind schedule when they rushed out and headed for the church. According to the Lincoln Star Journal, the final choir member, Joyce Black, didn't have any particular reason to be late, other than, in her words, pure laziness. Now, to be fair, she did have the shortest commute, just a walk across the street. 
She told reporters, So I kept putting off going out that door. At last, I couldn't put it off any longer. And when I opened up the door, the church disintegrated. Much later, Joyce would tell the Alliance Times, When it exploded, we used a lot of leaflets to sing from. The sky was just full of those little leaflets. It looked a lot like doves. The investigation into the explosion went on for some time. Based on a 1980 article from the Lincoln Star, it seems that a natural gas leak was indeed to blame, though the precise source wasn't mentioned. Apparently, when Reverend Walter went to stoke the coals, he also may have set the explosion in motion. Now, you might imagine that having their entire church blown to smithereens could be a demoralizing event for the congregation of Westside Baptist Church. But the second incredible event, that every single person who was supposed to be there was spared, overtook it. And so they rallied. Per the Beatrice Star, the church was eventually rebuilt. And, based on the ads we found in the local papers, its explosion was used by local insurance salesmen as a case study as to why everyone should have very thorough coverage. No, we aren't kidding. The Geneva Insurance Agency ran an ad detailing the destruction in the church in the Nebraska Signal newspaper, topped with the very tasteful headline, This Could Happen to You. According to the Alliance Times, Reverend Walter Klimple passed away in 1997. But his legacy has carried on at Westside. In 2010, then-pastor John Palmkiat said that they always marked the anniversary with reflection. It's something that we give thankfulness to God for that it wasn't a disaster that night. It was a miracle. Over the years, a few scattered retrospectives and an Unsolved Mysteries episode have revisited the strange events of March 1st, 1950. Every parishioner we came across in the archives seemed to believe that they had indeed experienced a miracle. Joan Black, who lived across the street from the blast, said she felt a higher power was certainly at work. She told the Alliance Times, There would not have been a splinter of us left unless God had willed something else for us to do in life. That's what I always thought. I've had a very useful life. As a 15-year-old, things don't hit you as deeply. But as you watch your babies growing, I could not have had all these wonderful memories. Whether or not this was a miracle, strangers, we certainly aren't qualified to say. Your take on that, whether you view it as the hand of God or some other force or just an incredible series of coincidences that somehow slid into place on a single, fateful night, that's up to you. But we feel confident in saying that there's no secret machination that we can find beneath this tale. No man behind the curtain. No zipper in the Sasquatch suit. There's no way around it. The Nebraska 15 were very, very lucky. And if you want to chalk that up to divine intervention, perhaps it's as good a time as any. If your higher power 
if you should have one, can be credited for a winning lottery ticket, then, perhaps, we shouldn't be shocked if bigger wonders are possible, too. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers, One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and monthly live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.